0: It's time for a community interview on NPR. All
1: right, guys, it is community interview time once again here on Manwa Two Peoples Radio, and this morning I am joined by Nancy Howey. Good morning, Nancy. How's it going?
2: Good morning. It's going well, thank you.
1: Fantastic. Now. Um, People have not heard you talk to me yet, but they have heard your music a wee bit because I've featured a couple of tracks from your project Fathom, which is is the main thing we want to talk to uh, uh, talk about today. Um, how would, how would you describe uh, Fathom and, and kind of what it is and where it came from?
2: Um, <laughs> it's sort of an, an unusual project. Uh, during the first lockdown, I, Essentially, got into the habit of making unusual and experimental instruments in my basement. And that developed into an album project. So the album was released last Friday and it features about 25 of those unusual instruments.
1: And I mean, when we're talking unusual instruments, these are, I mean, there are things that you've built which strike me as like, quite uh quite technical projects um you're not just kind of nailing nailing bits of wire to wood there are quite complicated things that you've put together and, and then played on this album
2: yes they became increasingly complex the longer i did it uh because with each project you acquire a bit more skill um but my partner and i built a tiny house about six years ago so i had some rudimentary building skills at the beginning of the project, this was very similar to that, but on a much, much smaller scale. So accuracy is much more important because you're talking millimeters, not centimeters. Um, but uh, yeah, they the, the first one was a fence post and a tin can and a guitar string. And it was a sort of makeshift cello. And then that developed into something that had a proper bridge and proper tuning pins. Um, and so, yeah, it, as i said it does become an exercise in uh, accuracy and uh, with with musical instruments in particular
1: I, I remember having a conversation with someone once who was complaining about how as a kid you're like, why did my parents constantly tell me what to do? And then you become an adult and you realize that it was because all of the things they were telling you to do were things that you should be, actually be doing. And I was kind of thinking about like <laughs> a, an instrument building equivalent to that. Like, why do people do, you know, use pre-made machine heads and everything and then you try <laughs> and tune something without it and you realize that they're, they're just a really That's good right. idea?
2: Yeah, as you say, it's actually also been an interesting exercise in what is worthwhile making and what's worthwhile buying. So, for instance, I learned how to make hand-wound pickups, and they're fine and they work, and (laughs) they are incredibly frustrating to make. You end up manually winding tiny, tiny, fine copper wire for 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 half an hour to an hour. I was going to say,
3: for
1: for like thousands and thousands of turns in a pickup...
2: Exactly. And the finer the wire and the the higher the number of coils, the better the quality of um, of the pickup. So the more you do, the better. And the thinner the wire, the better. But the thinner the wire, the more likely you are to snap the wire. So if you've been winding for 35 minutes and you snap, you have to start over. And at some point you go maybe I'll just buy a pickup. <laughs> so I have some instruments that have handmade pickups and I have other ones that have bought pickups.
1: And were you were you kind of discovering things from first principles or were you working with like guides on how to build things?
2: Uh, I'm not great at translating instructions into images in my head. So a lot of it is really improvised or I'll have an idea of what I want something to look or sound like and I'll sketch it badly and then try to try to turn it into reality. So there was a lot of trial and error, um, mostly error, but uh, again, that's how you learn. That's how you get better for the next one. Um, so, But I do have uh, a few books. There's one called... Uh, sound design or something like that and it's it's about the principles acoustic principles of instruments of different families of instruments and that's been an incredible resource at various points for instance I was making a, a wind instrument that was sort of like a a trombone in that it had a slide and I couldn't figure out why I couldn't get more than a few notes out of it and <laughs> after weeks and and all of these different permutations that I'd tried out I confronted the book or consulted the book and uh, realized that trombones work because they're overblowing at the, the fifth interval. And so it's actually a technique thing, not an instrument thing so much. And uh, so I'd been modifying and modifying and remodifying the instrument, thinking that I had made some sort of design error, but actually it was, it was user error. So it's... Books like that have been an, an important point of reference. And of course the internet's great. You can look at other people who've done similar things. Um, you can see other people make mistakes, so you don't have to. Um, so there have definitely been, there's been a lot of consultation with the internet as well, but usually it's to confirm whether or not my idea is viable, if that makes sense.
1: Yep. No, no, no that makes perfect sense. And, uh, um... You reminded me how much of particularly like brass instruments is like kind of a weird trick is what makes the Mm. instrument work rather than the the actual construction of the thing i'm i'm a guitar and mandolin player mostly so i'm very used (laughs) to the idea of like shortened string hit with something hard and and that changes the tone and that that makes perfect the physics of that makes perfect sense to me but <laughs> the idea that you literally have to hold your face right or it just won't work
2: <laughs> absolutely absolutely i i really relate to that because i'm guitar and bass mostly and i work as a piano tuner my day job is as a piano tuner so i work with stringed instruments mostly and they're my favorites to work with because they're the most straightforward you can obviously see what's happening and if it's not working you can very clearly see why it's not working Brass is very, very difficult to get right. And eventually I caved and bought a second-hand trumpet because it's very, very difficult to get those sounds right. And the valves on a trumpet are really complicated. Um, and to be honest, a lot of the instruments that I've built, uh, I've built as a shortcut to a different instrument. So, for instance, the, I, bought, I built a stringed instrument that is um, inspired by a cello. But it's strung like a guitar, so I figured it would be sort of like cheating because I already know how to play a guitar, so I'd just make a cello like thing that you know that I already know the fretting patterns for it's fretless, but mm. you get the idea um, i I didn't anticipate that Boeing was going to be a challenge, so there's still some skill involved, but similarly, I made a um what I call an allulophone, which is a balloon membrane stretched over the top of a butchered school recorder. And it sounds a lot like a saxophone, but I don't need to learn how to use a reed. You just like, there's very little opportunity for user error. You just blow in the hole and it makes the sound. And because it's a school recorder, it's already got pitched tone holes. Um, so there is some skill involved because it can be quite, um, can be quite difficult. <laughs> Sometimes it can be, um, you know, it can give you trouble, but the the technique is not in, not so much in the, as you say, holding your face in a specific way or holding your jaw in a specific way. That part is just, just your blow and it makes a noise.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean, the, the, you know, there's a grand tradition of, of people going, I want a sound. And the thing that makes the sound is either impossible for me to get or very difficult to learn to play. So I'm, I'm going to find a way to do it. There's a, a band that I was brought up listening to called The Incredible String Band, who are like...
2: Oh, yeah, they're great. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, so on early Incredible String Band records, there's this sitar-adjacent sound. But sitars you couldn't get, and they're difficult to play. So what it was was that Robin Williamson had modified the upper frets of his guitar so that they would just make this weird buzzing jangly oh, harmonic sound um, that's really cool i didn't know that yeah um and I, I think if you've seen pictures of them it's the guitar that's all painted that he has is the one oh, that, right. that he'd done that too um, and so on the on the early records there's this thing that you would swear is a sitar but actually he's just kind of done something weird to the frets on on an ordinary guitar and then put it in a weird tuning as well because endless weird tunings with those guys
2: Yeah, definitely. I I do almost all of my writing in um, alternate tunings. Uh, My guitar is my main songwriting instrument. Um, And I think it's, I don't remember the last time I wrote anything in standard tuning um, because I find that every time you change the tuning on a guitar, it's like you're learning from scratch. And so you end up with all sorts of interesting chords and, and, and voicings and things that you may not have, have, um, Stumbled upon in standard tuning. When I find I'm falling into patterns, I change the tuning again. It's It's like having to relearn the instrument every time.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you've got the if you've got the time to uh, to to put the guitar into a new tuning for every song, or you have the luxury of a lot of spare guitars, (laughs) it's a really cool trick. Um, And and as you say, you know, it gives you all of these odd rogue harmonies and and interesting ways that you have to because the guitar. Very much puts you in boxes based on the shape that your hands naturally want to make, and those change with tunings and all that mm. it's, it's it's a good idea, very clever yeah
2: um, I fell in love with Joni Mitchell when I was around twenty twenty one and it wasn't until several years later that I realized that one of the things I loved about her sound was the unusual tunings because she'd had polio as a kid, and so she couldn't fit her hands into all of those patterns and shapes that you were um, describing so she would change the tuning of her guitar so that it would make the sound that she could reach um yeah and i realized years later that i'd been doing a similar thing obviously
1: yeah i for mean reasons that, that that raises a very interesting question i mean the, the thing it reminds me of is i i um discovered him late but i really like uh, nick drake and he Uses oh, yeah. a lot of chord progressions, which are possible because he's put his guitar into a weird tuning. So the moves yeah. between those chords become become viable where they they ordinarily wouldn't be. I was thinking about, about Joni Mitchell. Um, it's really interesting how stuff grows out of limitation like that. Uh, yeah, and and I guess a question I wanted to ask you because. Um, in doing, in doing a little bit of research, I realised that I'd actually seen you perform with Tweed. In fact, I may <sighs> have done sound for you because I think you were at Wellington Folk Festival and I'm I'm often there doing uh, the sound. Um, no,
2: but we did play Fade Flat ah, a few years ago. That would have been
1: it. That would have been it. <laughs> and so equally, like 50-50, I was either in the audience or doing the sound for you when, yeah, you, were, cool. when you were on there. Um, well, good to see you again. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the thing that I was struck by both um, by by Tweed and by the Fathom album is that that you are very um, you're very technically proficient. You know, there's there's oh, a, 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 a real um, kind of. I, I it feels like a seventies influence to me. But it's the thing about like being good at stuff and making creative use of that, if if you see what I mean, um, <laughs> and. It strikes me that working with these with these homemade instruments that, as you describe, like they have quirks that that store bought ones wouldn't, and they are uh, sometimes unreliable or idiosyncratic. That, Challenging, yeah. yeah that, that does kind of put a, an interesting limitation on you because you have mm. what sounds to me like a quite a meticulous way of of playing, and and then to have to fit something that doesn't always behave into that is, is an interesting uh, mm-hmm. challenge.
2: Yeah. I, I think for me, the thing is that I'm, I always do myself as a songwriter first. So if I've gotten any good at guitar, it's entirely by accident. I, I sort of have an idea of what I want something to sound like. And if I'm not able to play it, then I sort of doggedly work away at it until I can. Um, as opposed to sitting down with the aim to become a really proficient guitarist, for instance. Um, and the same is true of these instruments. I had an idea of what I, I needed a song to sound like. That's how I ended up with the, the tin can cello, the fence post cello. Uh, I was doing an arrangement of a friend's song for New Zealand Music Month, a local local friend. And I needed the arrangement to have strings on it. And I don't know how to play any stringed you know bowed stringed instruments and i didn't own any and we we're in lockdown so i um i just put together what i could from the recycling bin essentially and, and scraps in the basement um and so everything that i've made has arisen out of a necessity and in service to a song um so yeah my my primary aim is always to write good songs first or what I, what I view as good songs.
1: Yeah, uh, that's, that's, I mean, that's obviously, uh, I'm, I'm reminded of like, I've been listening to a lot of uh, podcasts about the history of country music and they're talking about different arranges and the, the, the hosts favorite arranges are the ones that will make like not, technically correct choices in the service of you know being more expressive and i think that's Mm. that's a very powerful way of working is deciding this the song needs this thing then um then i'll make it yeah
2: yeah i think songwriting in a lot of ways takes a good deal of humility because you need to get out of your own way and just listen to the song and listen to what the song needs and a lot of the time I don't see it as something that I'm doing, but almost like something I'm receiving. I know that sounds a bit strange, but it feels as though you're nothing but a, an antenna for some sort of creative idea. And it almost feels like your job to produce it, to, to um, turn it into a reality, as opposed to something that you are conceiving entirely um, by yourself. So in a way, it... it, it can feel like a personal achievement, but it can also feel like you've done something in aid of something else. If that makes any sense,
1: yeah, no, that that makes perfect sense. Um, there's a there's an interview with Tom Waits where he talks about feeling like like sometimes they're bothering him. Like he'll have to say, <laughs> yes. "No, stop, wait, wait, I'm I'm stuck in traffic. I can't do anything about you right now. Come back well. in half an hour and we'll sort this out. Otherwise, you're gone." <laughs>
2: sometimes, sometimes it feels like I just have them queuing up And I need to just sit down and get them out Because you know, because they're there and they're mm. waiting I heard a similar thing uh, I was listening to an interview with Tori Amos And she said that she used to get really bad stage fright And then she realized that the songwriting was separate to her And that she was channeling something different And that was her, her role It wasn't about her It was about the songs And that really helped her a lot with the stage fright which I thought was an interesting approach.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, particularly she, she has a kind of somewhat theatrical bent. And so it's, it's almost kind of like living (laughs) with a character. Um, Look, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for coming and talking. Um, I do recommend that people go and get the Fathom album, but we also mentioned uh, that you have this other band, Tweed. And I noticed mm-hmm. that there is a new Tweed uh, album, which is either out now or out very soon.
2: There is an EP that came out at the end of last year. Um, that is, uh, that's an EP that we've been trying to get out for a while, but it was interrupted by COVID um, several times, as I'm sure a lot of us have experienced. But we're also in the recording studio at the moment recording our second um, feature length album, uh, which we're all really proud of. So we're very excited to be able to get that out and and be out touring again. That's one thing that Tweed can do that Fathom can't because I'm playing all the instruments and most of them don't technically exist in real life uh, on the Fathom album it's virtually impossible to tour. Whereas with tweet, we are playing the instruments as a band, so we can take that out on the road. So we're very excited to get that out there.
1: I mean, clearly you just need to form a small to medium sized cult so that you can teach them to play (laughs) all of the things that you've built and then take the resulting stage show on the road in a bus.
2: That's exactly right.
1: (laughs) Yes. Excellent. Well, look, uh, once again, thank you very much for talking. Um, do you want to just thank you for having
2: me this is this has been a really interesting conversation oh, I've enjoyed it
1: thanks um do you want to just before we go do you want to just remind people where they can find uh, the fathom album where they can find the Tweed albums and, and also where they can you know just follow you on the internet and see what you're up to
2: <laughs> certainly uh, the album is called the world to breathe and the fathom album it's available on all streaming platforms but also if you want to support the artist directly, it's available on Bandcamp. Uh, The same is true of the Tweed albums. Uh, They're called Overcome and Highbrow Blues, respectively, and uh, also available on all streaming platforms and Bandcamp. And I'm on Instagram, which is where I post photos of the weird instruments. That is Fathom Music NZ.
1: Excellent. Go check that out. And I always recommend that people buy things from Bandcamp because it's you know, if you want to support artists, it's the best way to kind of directly give them money um short of like <laughs> showing up to shows and handing it to them, which is difficult to do at the moment. Um, thanks once again do you do you have a particular song off the album that you'd like to play by way of of finishing this out i'll I'll stick it on the end.
2: Uh, Well, if you've got time, the title track, The World to Breathe, is probably the best example of what the project sounds like. It's got about 15 of the instruments on it.
1: Great. All right. Well, uh, Well, we'll put that one on now.
3: Sweetly a stone.
0: Been listening to another community interview on NPR. Also available on demand at MPR.nz. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for Accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.